The COVID-19 pandemic showed us just how vulnerable supply chains are. Today, we face many threats, shipping delays, a lack of workers, failing infrastructure, transportation rates that are out of control, cybersecurity threats, and of course, a worldwide pandemic that is still very much with us. But with each of these threats comes opportunities. Welcome to this limited podcast series from CSEMP's Supply Chain Quarterly, the top 10 supply chain threats. This podcast is sponsored by Covariant. You might have automated your forklifts and conveyors, but what about order picking, sorting, and packing? Are you familiar with AI robotics? Covariant can help. Covariant's AI robotics software enables robots to perform at a human level in terms of speed and accuracy. Designed by world-renowned AI roboticists, Covariant is actively deployed in actual warehouses around the world today, not in some experimental lab environment. To learn more, check them out at Covariant AI or on LinkedIn. Today we focus on the risk of not automating. I'm Dave Maloney, the Group Editorial Director for Supply Chain Quarterly, and joining me for this segment is Kevin Reeder, the Director of Business Development and Marketing at Knopf. Kevin, the pandemic has shown us a lot of the vulnerabilities. What are you seeing out there? Well, I think back to Modex of 2020 and uh, our reaction as a, as a, a country and a world to the, the uh, shifts that were about to take place. And we, we really weren't sure of what the, the, the magnitude was going to be, just that uh, our world is going to change. And uh, within two or three months, uh, the supply chain took a major shift. And we saw it first with, uh, with grocery and retail and the enormous spike in e-commerce. So that was the, that was the first uh, harbinger of the changes and the magnitude that were about to take place. Labor has been a major consideration, of course, and it's difficult to get workers today. Is that driving the, the need that people have, to, that they have to look at automation as an alternative to some of that? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting discussion. Um, obviously, there's, there's a huge amount of, uh, of turnover uh, in, from company to company, which raises the issue of, of training, of new hire recruitment and things like that. Um, but in addition to that, uh, you've got an aging workforce. Those dynamics haven't changed. You've got a, a workforce that's uh, basically coming back to work and, and in that process, um, you know, uh, a whole series of changes about the way in which they work and, and, and uh, so on. But there is definitely a shortage increase in wage rates and things like that, which is changing the need and drivers for, for automation. A lot of companies right now are, are trying to consider automation. They realize they have to do something because they can't keep up with demand. But there's also a risk of automating or maybe not automating in the right type of, uh, of equipment. What do you say to, to balance that, that risk of automating and the risk of not automating? I would say in most industries, it's almost a fait accompli. There are certain risks to any change, and change management is certainly a component of it. But automation takes many forms. Um, in some industries, like grocery, we're seeing uh, a, a, an automation and, and change in, in how supply chain is engineered with the addition of micro-fulfillment and hub-and-spoke models and things like that. 
There's the opportunity for process automation, where you've got software driving those uh, those changes, anything from uh, batch picking and things like that that have been seen as pretty traditional, to goods to person, to uh, the software solutions uh, that are uh, uh, more broad in scope, uh, control towers that uh, act more like a GPS for uh, the management of resources across the board and manufacturing, distribution, and fulfillment, and uh, and so on. So it's it's broad, and, and uh, you know we're seeing uh, a major uh, opportunity in terms of both recruiting, managing, managing, and uh, optimizing labor performance. Kevin, are we at a point with companies that if they don't automate, they may not be able to survive? I think that's a real issue. Um, it's it's certainly a, a challenge, and we're already seeing companies that are uh, accelerating their uh, compensation programs, their recruitment programs, looking at innovative ways to uh, to train and entice employees and retain them. Um, and and uh, uh, that's being driven by the fact that their ability to deliver is being compromised. Yeah. And in the past, most automation products were basically evaluated on a return on investment. And if it had a, a certain return on investment of, of X number of years, it was acceptable. If it was above that, it wasn't worth doing it. But they can't just throw labor at it anymore, right? I think you've got a couple of issues working here. One is the hurdle rates are, are, uh, are being adjusted to reflect that risk. And the uh, the second issue really is that, uh, you know, uh, this is becoming sort of a threshold issue. Uh, we have like we have to automate. And if we don't automate, we're, we're uh, risking uh, business growth and, and so on. What type of acceptable return on investment are you seeing? I mean, and, and that may vary by country by country, too. I know in Europe, they tend to be a little more tolerant of longer ROIs than they do in the U.S., but what's considered an acceptable range? You know, I, I think it's still within the three to three to five year range. But again, we are seeing these threshold decisions and, and the issue of labor and automation moving into a little softer benefit category where there's a, uh, a general recognition that this situation is not going to get better in the in the immediate term. So so uh, that automation is being given a little bit uh, wider berth from a CFO perspective. In looking at doing automation, are people looking for scalable solutions so they can, in a sense, mitigate that risk and be able to grow little by little in their automation? I think coming out of COVID, most C-levels are saying to themselves, we have to really double down on our resiliency, uh, our flexibility, and looking at a, a very significant change in, in investments. Um, and an increase in nearshoring or, or, or reshoring uh, and, and changes in, you know, in all the things they're looking at. But one of those issues is flexibility and scalability. If things are volatile in the next year or two years, if they increase in volatility, what, what are my uh, abilities to flex and change? How do I do this? You know, uh, you look at the reports coming out of McKinsey, for example, and a lot of them are 
emphasizing the, uh, the various levels of risk that are seen in the uh, globally today and how often, what the frequency is in those particular levels of risk and how they're liable to impact the planning in the, uh, in the C-level offices and boards of America and North America and globally for that matter uh, in terms of that discussion about, you know, are my systems, is my automation flexible? Is it scalable? Can I flex and suddenly take a 15 or 20% increase in uh, e-commerce business, for example? You know, uh, is my, is what if my um, store-based business, my mall-based business goes away? What if it does that significant impact on my supply chain? And all these certainly are, are cascading in terms of their impact on the uh, return on investment calculations and selection of automation technologies and, and the like. You mentioned e-commerce a moment ago in your answer, and that seems to be driving a lot of the automation now just because of the intensity of uh, a focus on labor with being able to pick e-commerce orders. Are you seeing that among a lot of your customers? Well, definitely. I mean, e-commerce is top of mind, and it's and it's pretty logical when you think about it, right? If you're used to shipping uh, multiple line items and cases to a store and suddenly your, your e-commerce business jumps, you're going to see a massive spike in your labor. The average lines per order is something in the order of 1.1 or 1.2 lines per order on, a, on an e-commerce order in general, unless it's a B2B e-commerce order. And uh, that just has a huge labor content to it. So, um, you know, if you if you consider the e-commerce impact on grocery stores that are picking e-commerce, um, that's a dead money loser. And, and anyone in the business from Walmart on down is looking at and Kroger and all the others, they're looking at uh, their grocery business and saying, if I'm picking e-commerce orders at a rate of 20% or so now, and those are all single line orders and I'm having to pay someone to walk around the stores picking orders, that's a pretty tough value proposition to expand and justify uh, doubling down and investing in all that. You have to automate it or, or it's, it's a question of how much money you're losing as the business expands. Right. When people think of automation, they often think of the full-blown, you know, large-scale, tens of millions of dollars of automated systems that would fill a warehouse and they almost be, in a sense, lights out where you don't have very many employees. But that's not really the case with most automation. Can you talk about how there are opportunities for people to, to automate and be able to afford that automation and still make significant changes in their operations? That's a really good question. And I think everyone is aware that large scale automation capacity is, is pretty saturated right now. The ability to contract suppliers to do large automated distribution centers is at an all time high. Um, and and that's, that's difficult, but there are a ton of additional ways to leverage automation and uh, drive significant improvements. You know, this could be robotic work cells. It could include, you know, more islands of automation. Uh, it could include a change in uh, one type of packaging or shipping in boxes to shipping in bags, where you might save a dollar a package. If you're shipping thousands of packages a day, that type of impact is, is massive. 
Um, and it could include uh, software solutions like uh, control towers that, uh, that aren't automation in the traditional sense, but they are process automation. And some of those uh, technologies are, are we're seeing as high as five to 30% PNL reduction in terms of uh, costs. So, so I would say there's a broad array of automation options uh, uh, from soup to nuts really that are not just whole scale, massive million square foot and above uh, facility automation projects. Kevin, if a company is looking to automate, how do they start? You know, I think that the most important thing is to, uh, is to do some engineering work on your flows, uh, processes. Um, you don't automate manual processes typically. You've got to assess that and decide where the opportunities are. But I think the most important thing from my perspective is selecting a team that you can work with that, uh, that listens as opposed to pitching their product. And, and in that process, uh, you develop a relationship of trust. And trust is really the, the, uh, the most important factor, I think, in, in, uh, in selecting uh, a team and moving forward with automation. In this segment of the top 10 supply chain threats, we've been talking about the risk of not automating. And our guest has been Kevin Reeder, the Director of Business Development and Marketing for Canop. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, Dave. Great to talk with you. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from CSEMP's Supply Chain Quarterly, the Top 10 Supply Chain Threats. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.